0: So why don't you just say, like at the beginning of Frankenstein, just
1: a friendly word of warning. Just a friendly word of warning. The episode you're about to hear contains the usual uh, jovial badinage that you're used to. But in the conversation with Alison Anders, uh, we discuss at great length uh, Hollywood's history of uh, dealing on screen with sexual assault. If that's a topic that you find upsetting, we suggest you give this one a pass and come back next week. Um, one heads up. With, I, I check here from now on. Out. I'm not being rude. Well, I am being rude, but it's it's not checking text. I'm usually looking things up, so I don't. Oh yeah,
2: no it. problem. Because I I, <laughs> cause had I have to no look, brain. Left. I had to look him up. I didn't realize he was German too.
1: I, oh, Anthony Mann? Anthony
2: Mann, yeah. Oh, like well, Thomas
1: Mann, his brother. No.
2: Oh, come on. You make you know, know I would believe it.
1: <laughs> I will, especially for <laughs> no me. By way, the way, the, 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 and I'm going to, when I go back and record the little preludes to the episodes, we have the you, the, uh, Adolf Caesar was not the guy who did Jaws or those other films. He didn't do Jaws? No. No. Oh, so who was he? I, I, well, he did other stuff.
0: Oh, um, I thought for sure that was his voice. No, somebody else with a great name. I can't, I don't oh, know.
1: No, another black had to, guy, does. though. Uh, yeah, yeah. Rifkin had had lunch with Landis, and they discussed What's it. it? And they Copant they called Patrick. you out. I mean, like the great thing, Joe shows up for these. Sometimes it's it's always a thrill to have him, and it's yeah. he, it's like having a human encyclopedia here. So totally. when you and I are totally. unaware of the then, fact then that, that, the that people totally. were, that's he, it, he
0: just tries to show me up.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, I have nothing. But shall we? Want to, uh, well, let's uh, just go. Yeah, we'll just go. Okay. Hi, I'm Josh Olson, and you're listening to the movies that made me the official podcast of Trailers from Hell. one you. I am, I can't even look at her while I'm saying this because it just. It's. But I'm so excited. I mean, I'm always happy to have anyone who will come in and talk to us. But but uh, today we have the unbelievably great writer director Allison Andrews with us. I first became like a lot of people. I uh, wasn't hip enough to know about Border Radio. But but I came to her in the uh, uh, early 90s, early 90s -hmm. with with um, at the peak of that. uh, Yeah, of course, it was 1992, the greatest year for movies in my life through an amazing film in the midst of uh, that kind of great indie explosion that was happening. She wrote and directed a wonderful movie called Gas Food Lodging, which just killed me in theaters, and I've seen it a dozen times since then, and it seemed like in the midst of this whole thing where everyone was being kind of arch and ironic and meta and everything, here was this human voice telling uh, really d- d- human stories with with uh, um, obviously an understanding of women, but um, and maybe we can get into a little of this, I assume, because you co-wrote these with with uh, a man as well. I like to think that he probably brought a little bit of insight into oh, yeah. our agenda. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Gas Food Lodging just just killed me, and she has gone on to do um, many other uh, wonderful films, um, which, uh, I mean, Mi Vita Loca came after that. Four Rooms, of course. Grace of My Heart, which, aside from being just an absolutely beautiful film and a wonderful performance at Meliana Douglas, uh, uh, somehow you brought Elvis Costello and Bert Bacharach together, and that ended up in being, aside from the <laughs> film, one of my favorite albums of all time mm. and one of the most surreal concert going experiences I ever had. Because going to see Elvis yeah. Costello and having Bert Bacharach come out and we're all singing, raindrops keep falling on my oh, head was just so bizarre. Great. But uh, Allison has done a lot, of, she also did uh, Things Behind the Sun. Uh, which we'll be talking about a bit today as well. And she's doing a lot, like a lot of great directors these days, doing a lot of good work in TV. Keep seeing your name pop up on Orange is the New Black, which always makes me happy. But uh, we are here today because we don't like to interview people about their work because they've done that interview. <laughs> yeah. Howson wanted to talk about two of her favorite directors who influenced her work over the years and kind of do an interesting, it's an interesting compare and contrast, I think, too, Anthony Mann and Ida Lupino who both had sort of interestingly similar uh, interests and styles and yet were very different in at least one significant way. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. But I don't know. Should we just sort of jump in? I mean, you told sure. me when we were talking the other day that Manful My Army had a big influence on you while you were writing Guess with Lodging. Mm-hmm. And you also said that Outrage, uh, the Ida Lupina film, um, had influenced your work on Things Behind the Sun. Yes. And uh, I used that as an excuse to kind of jump back and uh, rewatch all, f- well, rewatch three of those movies. I'd never seen Outrage. I had to go to the ends of the earth to find a oh copy of God, it. Oh my God, right? Yeah. Do you want to start there? Should we? Yes. Talk about a movie that's almost impossible to find, and
2: yes. <laughs> and now you can see it turn up now and then on TCM. Yes, you know, and um, and the way that I found it was through none other than Martin Scorsese, who I was working with on Grace of My Heart, and um, he was my exec producer, and then I was cutting with Thelma. I mean, <laughs> how lucky am I? Whenever I whenever I don't have have a you know have a crappy day and I'm not very grateful I'm like well I, I sat in the room with Thelma you know so um, she was cutting Grace in my heart and um, and I realized I needed to make things behind the sun so I hadn't written the script yet I was about to write it I needed to work through that piece of my own experience with sexual assault. And um and I co-wrote it with Kurt Voss, but we hadn't begun to write it yet. And so, um I want I told you know, Marty has that fabulous library, of course, and at the time it was right there in um I don't know where it is now, but it was right there in the office where we were editing. So, you know so i said i want to see every movie made about rape and he was so of course so great he says okay well you know there aren't that many about rape there's um there are lots of rapes in movies i think at the time it was something like 1 in 4 movies had rapes in them somewhere um but to actually be about the subject it's true. There were so few. Yeah. It was kind of amazing. Now he was also working on that um, a journey through movies mm, documentary yes. at the time. Great documentary. And Thelma was cutting that, and he had a clip of outrage in there because he had, you know, a, a little chunk on Ida Lupino as a director. So um, so he had that film. So I was able to see it, and I was completely blown away. I mean, I'm blown away by it to this very day, because the amazing thing for me is how the movie is only about that. It is completely about nothing else. It's about this girl who's... um, She's a young woman. She, She... works at a like a coffee shop and she's um engaged to be married she has a great family she has a great life simple life and she's raped and she's raped by a guy that uh she all she can remember is a scar on his neck that she sees when the assault is happening now the amazing thing about that for me is that and this went into making things behind the sun is that and through all my research later on rape is that you know the reason that it's very hard for women to to identify an assailant is that your your adrenaline takes over and you'll you'll have this heightened sense of reality you know you'll have this heightened sense of of awareness, so that you'll remember like a scar, but maybe you don't remember the face. You know, so it's all this stuff that goes into protecting you in trauma. It's how it works? It's like trauma memory. <clears throat> so that was before anybody even knew this stuff. So that Ida made that choice as a director to to shoot it that way, so that we're in her point of view. And we're seeing the one thing that she remembers about this guy. Now, we, as an audience, have seen the guy's face, but she hasn't. She does, she's seen it, but she doesn't clock that that's the guy.
1: Yeah, because he works at the coffee truck outside yes, her exactly. office. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. so
2: she hasn't clocked that that's the guy because all she can remember is this heightened moment. And that's what really saves your life. And trauma is that that, that moment saves your life. And so she, um, so the rest of the movie is her not being able to, um, it's her experience immediately after the assault and, uh, where she's showering, scrubbing herself clean kind of thing. She can't get clean. It's one of these things that so many, so many rape survivors talk about. And, um... And then she just goes away. She just goes on this journey. She can't live her life anymore. She feels like she can't live her life anymore.
1: Well, the people around her are very. It's a different time, I guess. Yes, so, uh, it's yeah, been and they're very,
2: they're very sympathetic, but they don't know what to do for her. Right. And nobody's judging her. I mean, it's the best of circumstances. Seemingly, but well, nobody they all, they knows they all how treat to her like she's her. terribly
1: broken. And yes,
2: they treat her like she's broken, and in a weird way, she kind of is. But brilliantly, in the end, I don't think she's broken anymore. I think she got all her pieces back, and um, she's whole again. She's gone through this journey that she knew she needed to do, and she does it. So, that one movie, I think, uh, is. Beyond, I mean, it almost makes me cry now talking about it because it's so, it's so powerful, and um, and it was just, you know, I don't know. I asked my mom, "Did you ever see this movie?" No, I never heard. It. You know, my mom went to the movies constantly and wrote in her diary and everything, but she um, she had missed it at the time, and um, and so that went into that was one of one of my essentials for. A sort of cornerstone for making things behind the sun and I really worked on trying to get that sort of heightened uh, that sense of heightened uh, trauma memory and heightened reality uh, from the perspective of the uh, victim and uh, you know just really tried to work on on all of the things that she had put out there, well
1: it's it's an interesting <clears throat> double feature um, for a I'll lot bet. of reasons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, uh, my wife Nancy, thanks you for um, <laughs> oh, <my laughs> that God. that evening we had. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, first of all, it's it, it's an interesting note in in outrage, you never actually see the rape, and that word rape is never used. right, of course. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting was that and I'm still trying to figure out and I'd love to know what you think obviously Ida Lupino uh, worked on the script as well mm-hmm. and as a woman at that time would be far more uh, I think sort of sensitive to obviously th- what women endured just in general but there are scenes especially there's a scene with her um, fiancé when she's Thinking her life is over and they certainly can't get married anymore because she's broken and she gets out of the car crying and he chases after her and he grabs her and he spins her around and he's holding her tight and he's like, you listen to me. It's like our life may never be the same and you may be broken, but we are getting married because I love. And it's this by kind of the standards of a 1950s film he's being sort of the noble hero and look at him the way, because that's what you do, is you manhandle women until they come around to you. Oh, yeah. Because he Uh knows best. Um, But it's just kind of horrifying the way he's treating her. I can't, I can't! Let me go. Don't talk like that. We're going to be married right away. I want you. I want to live with you. I want to have kids with you. We can be happy like other people. We're not like other people. I don't want to get married ever. I don't want you to touch me. I kept thinking, you know, if a man had written and directed this film, that scene would feel a little bit different. And I'm wondering if, you know, Ida was playing with a little bit of irony there, a little bit of understanding that this guy is kind of an asshole. Or
2: Well, it's uh, funny because that you say this, because on Gas Food Lodging, I had uh, each of the male actors had come to me at some point point. Separately, they hadn't talked amongst themselves that I know of. But they had all come to me separately and said, "You know, I think there's a scene missing." And the scene missing was that scene was the scene where he tells the woman, "Hey, I love you, and this how it's going to be." And blah blah blah. And I was like, each one was that kind of a thing. And then finally, I was—I didn't come with any kind of agenda to making movies, or you know—but I was like. Ooh, I see. I get what you're saying. No, no, you don't. We don't do that in this movie. We don't have to do that in this movie. It's okay. You can just relax. You, do this movie, you know. So, so I think that there is something. Yeah, that's that. It's he, that kind of uh, moment. For, and even the
1: the minister at the end is kind of more of a good guy. Although he's a little creepy. Yes. Yeah. I of, know she wants to see, he tells her what she needs to do at the end. Yes, you need to go back true. to your life and she goes gosh you're right and um which is because there's a lot of kind of similarity in terms of the way the men treat Kim Dickens and things beyond the sun to, right but there's the awareness that they're wrong <laughs> yes yeah it's it's and they're called out for that in your film which is
2: yeah and they're all kind of i mean i used this um this book, actually, on things behind the sun, I used a book by um, a therapist um, who kind of created the sex addiction uh, clinic at the Meadows in the news recently. But um, he, uh, Patrick Carnes, and he, um, one of the, th- he he wrote an amazing book called The Betrayal Bond, and it's about trauma. And how, when there's a trauma, especially an assault, or, you know, you uh, you go into this trauma mode, and um, and it's saving your life, and you, you also bond with the perpetrator, you know, so you bond with the perpetrator to kind of, like Stockholm Syndrome that we all know about, so you bond with the perpetrator so that you lessen your risk of being killed, and... Um, But the problem is, is that after the trauma's over, your brain is still uh, thinking that you're still in trauma mode and that you're still uh, bonding with perpetrators and bonding with people you shouldn't be bonding with to save your life. So so he had this triangle, and the triangle was like, there's the victim, the perpetrator, and the caregiver. So that was kind of brilliant for me to work with in terms of... uh, Kim Dickens being the victim, Gabriel Mann portraying the perpetrator to a certain extent, and uh, Don Cheadle portraying the caregiver. But one thing that Karn says is they will all shift positions within that triangle Hmm. and they'll play out different roles. So none of it's healthy, not even the caregiver. You know, the caregiver seems like, oh, well, she has a caregiver, but that's not good either. And so. That and was there, there seems to be a
1: little awareness of that in outrage even, which is interesting because yes. we didn't have any of that.
2: Exactly thinking. without any of that psychology. That's what's yeah. incredible to me is that and she it wasn't that she just you know, she knew this, she had this knowledge and we know that because of how she shot it.
1: Yeah. you know, how yeah.
2: she filmed it shows that she knew she knew what this experience was all about. Yeah. So, you know whether she knew it personally or not she she knew it she knew what
1: she know was how, trying to say um and we have uh my god did i we were talking did i actually we have of course the great joe dante here with us who knows everything and anything there is to know on the just, subject just listening <laughs> <laughs> please so allison did did aida just kind of i mean obviously she was a big movie star and these opportunities come up. Did she just kind of fall into directing? Or do you know if it was more of a plan on her part, something that was always the idea?
2: Well, it's an interesting thing because, of course, people think that if they're on the set observing for years that they know how to do, you know, a lot of jobs, especially directing. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I mean, as a director, I wouldn't presume that I know how to act just because I work with actors or that I could you know be the dp or or the even the editor so i think that um for a long time because she was the only one in the 50s the only woman directing movies for studios and these were the smaller studios at that that she just sort of fell into it but in fact or that or that the director was axed and then she just kind of Went oh hey I'll do it well yeah you they know, do that
1: lottery when the yeah, director's right, fired just
2: right. who it's wants like, to yeah, sure yeah. okay so I'll step up and uh, call action that's actually how I got to yeah. direct my one film <laughs> there we go I was a PA <laughs> so um, but in fact what's what's the the really great story here is that in fact directing was always the plan yeah. for Ida Lupino. her parents were actors. She wanted to be a filmmaker were they as in a child. Movies? They were in movies. Yeah, they were actors in the theater and they were actors in movies, and um, and they were they were English. She's English, mm-hmm. you know, and and um, and so uh, when she decided to become an actress as a teenager, her father made a deal with her, and he was like, "Well, we will let you become an actress and pursue that." if you don't lose sight of the fact that you want to direct movies. Hmm. And so that was her pact with her father, was that eventually, and every now and then he would nudge her as she was becoming a very big star, you know, um, but remember, you've got your movie to make. And so eventually at the point that, it's true, you know, that at the point that, maybe there weren't as many roles for her the time had come. But it really was part of the plan all along. So that's kind of... that. That is the really remarkable story about Isla Lupino It's enough that she was already um, a director in the 50s as a right. woman. But that she had this plan. She also just really knew how to Navigate that in a way that I think a lot of women later needed to find out on their own as well, which was how do you, you know, how do you, you know, take control of your crew as a director as a woman? And so she made that movie star past work for her, where she'd come to set dressed like a movie star. And she'd sit in her chair like an actress and with her jewelry. And she'd go, darling, could you move that light over here for me? So, you know, so that she was never intimidating her male crew because it was almost all male crew. we right. were used to working with male directors. So she just she didn't try to compete with the male directors. She just used her movie star status. Today.
1: And and they knew how to... That's brilliant, because those same crew would know how to work with a woman who was a movie star. And Absolutely. How to, how to adapt to her. Absolutely.
2: And, oh, that's and so incredible. she just uh, really worked that. And then at the end, they kind of... You know, I'll never forget seeing the the chair that they made for her. They made the director's chair that said, Mother to Us All. Uh. And so later some crew members heard me saying that on the set of things behind the sun. And at the end of the, at, at the wrap of my film, they presented me with a chair that said mother to us all. So, you know, I just think that that was, and that was my, my, um, approach also was when I started was to, um, was to disarm by wearing by by using a sort of earth mother approach I knew that I had this thing going for me so I just thought okay I'll wear flowers in my hair and long flowery dresses and then I can get what I need on set so you know we don't have to play those tricks so much anymore but whatever you get doesn't hurt you know
0: Oh, that's wonderful. So she and her then-husband, Collier Young,
2: Mm. formed
0: a company called The Filmmakers, and they made independent, true independent uh, movies, which I don't think even had necessarily distribution set up. Uh, And they did a a whole series of very odd, offbeat, um, and interesting movies about people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there. I mean, every so often there was a genre movie thrown in there, like the Hitchhiker, the Hitchhiker yeah. which is a great movie, but it's also uh, got characters in it. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's And, and you know, she, she said that she it, it was considered the uh, the poor man's Don Siegel. Um, that <laughs> <laughs> she she had gone from being the poor the poor man's Betty Davis yeah. to the poor <laughs> man's Don Siegel. <laughs> Um, and, and but the, and the movies were the, one of the reasons you don't see outrage is because it was very spottily distributed because of the subject matter, mm, uh, right. and you know her previous movie that that she had gotten a chance to direct was not wanted, which was a, an adoption mm-hmm. movie right, the adoption. where the, the she was she wrote it and she produced it, but the director whose name was Elmer Clifton, uh, who is an odd choice for this movie because his main. He went back to silent movies, but he his, he was had mainly been working in very low budget westerns, and I and I don't know if they were friends or, or how he got that job, but he had a heart attack, and she had to direct the picture, and mm. that was her baptism of fire because it was like well now now that the, the yeah. I've really got to deliver here, uh, and that picture turned out very well, uh, and then Hard Fast and Beautiful was the tennis movie, uh, right. and and they all have some of them have recurring cast members, but they're, but are their well, no, sister they're shows no stars. Uh, you know, yeah. they're all character actors,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: um, she she had a, a pretty unique. I mean, except for Dorothy Arzner, I can't think of another uh, woman director who directed that many movies, except maybe Lois Weber yeah. or somebody in the in the yeah exactly twenties.
2: And then also to have moved into TV like she did so early on like to, as, a, as a woman. Well, my know? generation knew like, her
0: from a, a show called Mr. Adams and Eve, which oh, she yeah. did with her husband, uh, that, her then-husband, um, Howard Duff. And they played married movie stars, and it was a syndicated sitcom. Gotta, and oh, God. That was a comedy. It was <coughs> funny, but, I mean, for an 11-year-old to think this is funny, it must have been fairly funny. <laughs> 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 otherwise, it was hard to relate to. <laughs> Uh, but she, you know, and, and and you know, she was always really gorgeous and always mm-hmm. a good actress. Great actress, uh, and had a real style to her. And a, and a, and a, and a, 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 she could be very brittle. I mean, she's versatile. She's very. And the
2: and the women uh, in the movies where she had, um, I mean, she did films with women characters, young women characters at the forefront too. In addition well, to also, doing the movies with the with the guys. But I think you what's know, really
1: interesting, you you look at The Hitchhiker, and I don't know, this is just a crazy theory, but I feel like if a, if a man had written and directed that film, The Hitchhiker would have picked up a couple because there's just that sense mm-hmm. that it's always more frightening if there's a woman yes. being menaced. And the fact that it's these two, I mean, they're just like, two, they're probably two war buddies. buddies. Yeah. I think they are <laughs> war buddies, aren't yeah, they? Right. Who are picked up, and it's still incredibly tense because... She's not having that. She's not going. Yeah. You know, it's more frightening if a woman's. And also, being an, so an, another
0: movie that she did that was very controversial at the time was *The Bigamist*.
1: Oh yes. Which
0: also stars Edmund O'Brien. I guess they were uh, friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has a different family in different places. And in the 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 two the two women represent the two views of women that were popular uh, in the fifties. And and you know he, he gets the Madonna and the whore, uh, and how he manages to keep this thing going uh, is, um, it's a little melodramatic, but it's but it's a really fascinating subject because when you think about it, I mean, what other mainstream movie would be about that subject? Right? Yeah. I mean, there wouldn't <laughs> so be, no, because the studio wouldn't make a picture
2: like it's that. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah, and it really makes sense that Outrage would not have done... You know, w- that some people would have just not picked that up at all. You well, know, I mean, to, you know, they, to to show the it.
0: prevailing thought was movies are entertainment. Yes, you know? exactly. And, and right. uh, depending and even, on the subject matter, you know, a movie can be moving and great and, and, and change your life, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be entertaining exactly. in the normal Well, state. also, and there are exactly. some issues that we
1: just stay away from in 1950. Yeah. that's... But I
2: felt like I felt that way even with things behind the sun because I had two offers when that when we took the film to Sundance we had two offers, and the first one was um, one was uh, through a company that I knew they loved the movie, and it was for theatrical release. The second one was for Showtime, and that was a larger amount of money. You know, where my investors would get all their money back from that deal. And, but it meant that it would be on TV, which was really a very risky move back then. Like, that wasn't, just Time, wasn't times the golden. Yeah. I, this is only, what, <laughs> 10 <this was laughs> years <not ago>? the, <laughs> Yeah, this was not the golden age of TV yet. So it was like, yeah. but it was funny because I thought, you know, that theatrical company, I know that they really love the movie. They're not going to love it after the second weekend. I knew that because I thought, I know that this subject matter is going to be really tough. And a girlfriend of mine, she worked at Fine Line at the time, and she said, listen, Allison, if you can get past the vanity of the theatrical screening, I guarantee you, you will have more people see this movie, and there will be people who need to see it we'll be able to see it. And um, I tell you, I, I was watching Giant on TV at the time, and I was like going, I love this movie so much. This is like one of my favorite movies. And I was like, and you've never once seen it on the screen. Happy <laughs> right. Alice. And I was like, okay, I believe it. I'm a believer. <laughs> so it's like, all right, well, I'll do it. And I never looked back. But it was, you know, even, even at that time, in, 19, in 2000, you know, it was too risky to put it in the theaters. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't have done well. And then, Monsters Ball came out and would have taken every single bit of, you know, that was that was kind of enough for that year. Right. <laughs> you know,
1: but it's interesting too that that subject. You know, what you said earlier about how
2: uh,
1: how frequently it showed up in films and how rarely it was the subject. Oh yeah. Well, movies. when the rating
0: system came in, it was yeah. a, it was a quick, easy, cheap way of being sensational. Oh, to get an
1: R. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, but I feel yeah. like my entire childhood, I think of like all the movies I went to with my dad in the 70s, you know, you go back and you watch them now and you almost, uh, again, I showed Nancy, my wife recently, High Plains Drifter, and well, that's I what, set it oh, up for her. There, there's say. a somewhat misogynistic. <laughs> yeah, I said, thing. you have yeah. to understand, but, but it was an interesting <laughs> thing. It was like, you have to, you know, there's there's different kind. this is not straw dogs rape, this is High Plains Drifter, you know. it's Yeah, but, that was,
0: yeah. That, but that was always a little... A little bizarre, even when the picture was new.
1: But it was yeah, still. But, but that still Seeing happens in so many films in that era, where it's just kind yeah. of, well, she's enjoying it, or she comes back for more, or she's got it coming, and it's all kind of okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I'm I'm actually amazed that as a culture, you know, men are are actually as as bad as things are that somehow we're not as bad as we should be, having grown up <laughs> on those on those films, because it's astonishing. I mean, you look at Once Upon a Time in America.
2: Where you know, like every
1: twenty minutes, they're like, "Hey, what should we do? Let's go gang rape Tuesday." Well, and she goes, "Oh, you guys again." Yes, so true. It's It's so bizarre. That's an Italian movie. Well, that's (laughs) Italian. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Um, But uh, yeah, but we we also want to talk about. I think it's interesting to. Compare them too, because I I feel like there are sort of stylistic similarities. But Anthony Mann was a big influence. Well, he also started very similarly. And, yes,
0: to, uh, her with these with very low budget uh, pictures for RKO and Republic, and and uh, and and then my there are many periods in Anthony Mann. Sure, you know, there's this early noir period and then yeah. there's this western yeah. period, and then toward the end of his life, there's the big budget blockbuster period. L- C- my yeah, le- yeah. my least favorite period of it. Yeah, um, and I think that. When he was fired off of Spartacus uh, that oh, yeah. was quite a career blow even though he even though he did come back and make some some big pictures after that but I mean they were they were well into shooting when he was fired and uh, I remember an interview with with uh, Peter Ustinov where they said so what was it like working with Stanley Kubrick and Ustinov said I, I never met Stanley Kubrick because all of his wow. scenes were shot wow. by Anthony Mann. That's amazing. So uh,
2: that's amazing. You know,
0: and 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 Kubrick was notoriously not very happy on the movie because yeah. it wasn't his movie, and uh, you know, it was a big expensive picture for him and all that. And 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 Douglas had asked him to do it after they had done Paths of Glory, um, and it's a I love the movie, but uh, I I, I it, there shouldn't be really two directors credited on that
1: mm-hmm. movie. Well, isn't that which before we get to, Anthony Mann was? Um, uh, I was surprised to find out that I. Lupino had actually directed a lot of on dangerous ground, which is credited oh, the, to right. Nicholas Ray. Yes, which yeah. she's in, of course. I do have uh-huh. any idea how that? No, I don't know the details uh, of that. Okay.
0: She also is the only woman who have directed two Twilight Zone episodes.
2: Right, and she did Gunsmoke, and yeah. she did. Oh, she uh, was a regular.
1: Yeah, on Gunsmoke. Honey West,
2: so much. Yeah. Oh yeah, Honey West. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
1: But um, was was Man from Laramie your favorite, Anthony Mann, or is it just sort of well, the one that came I was, to mind? You mean the one you were Joe supposed
0: to do for *Trailers from Hell* about ten years ago?
2: Oh god! <laughs> I gotta do that! Come on! I'm still uh, I'm
0: still holding the trailer.
2: Okay, please! I want to do it! I want to do it! A lot of you folks have read this
0: story, *The Man from Laramie*, in the *Saturday Evening Post*. Well, we made a picture about it out in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And here are some scenes from The Man from Laramie.
1: The Man from Laramie, based on one of the most powerful adventure stories ever to appear in the Saturday Evening Post. Read by millions, now brought to the screen by the star, James Stewart, the director, Anthony Mann, the producer, William Getz, who gave you the Glenn Miller story, Winchester 73, Bend of the River, and many more.
2: He was not in to speak his mind. the man from Verity. You got no cause to shoot me? Shooting's too good for you. What did I do to you? Tell me, what did I do? I got a right to know.
1: Yeah, I guess a man's got a right to know what he's going to die for. They're coming for their guns. Kill me and they'll kill you.
2: Well, the very first, I was telling Joe, the first, one of my first movies that I ever uh, saw in the theater was El Cid. Oh, wow. So, um, I saw that at the, we have a beautiful movie theater, movie palace, it's still there, God bless them. Um, And more beautiful now than it was even when I was a child, but um, a paramount movie palace in my hometown in Ashland, Kentucky. And um I saw El Cid there when I was probably about five, I guess, maybe six. But of course I couldn't understand the subject matter, but I what I did was I identified the two women as my mother and her sister. So to me, the fair haired woman, I can't remember who played her, that was my aunt, and my mother was Sophia Lauren. So, um, so that was how I identified with that movie. I was just following those women because those were the two formidable women in my life. So, I followed their story. I, I saw it through saw the story through their eyes because I didn't I didn't relate to Charlton Heston. Obviously, as a six year old girl, but um, and then later. Um, I think when I was, uh, right this summer before I went to UCLA film school, I saw a bunch of Anthony Mann Westerns. I think I was dating a guy at the time that was like a film nerd or something. And so he um, taught me a little bit about him and about his movies, about his Westerns and they were so different to me than Ford's Westerns because Ford's Westerns have this bigger-than-life kind of feel to them. And they're very allegorical, and they're very, you know, grand. And um, and Anthony Mann's Westerns are not like that. They're like what, what it would... Like when you see... I'll just never forget there's like moments in... in uh, the Man from Laramie, where I I still, every time I see it, I feel like I'm on that horse, you know, because I'm just like, and I'm nervous because I can feel the ground underneath. There's just something about it. You're just centered in the space differently, um, and uh, it's a bit more grounded. I don't know. Yeah, there's the characters are a little more human. There's something about it. Yeah, there's, yeah, they're more human. The, the Indians are more textured they're not kind of you know all one painted with sort of one broad stroke they're kind of they have more nuance in the like they're just everything's just a little more complicated and a little more shaded and it's not the characters are not allegories for anything they're like it's like a real guy like i'm just trying to find out how my little brother was killed he's killed with this rifle i'm trying to figure out who gave these rifles to the Indians? That's all. Just trying to figure that out. And meanwhile, he meets this lovely woman, um, played by Kathy O'Donnell, who's just so dear. I think I don't know what, where she came from, or what she's happened such an to interesting her, or presence. what. Yeah, was she? she was just in so many wonderful movies. Oh, she was in that Nicholas Ray movie that uh, they live by night, right? And she's just. I don't know. She's just a plain sweet girl. And, and the beauty of it is he says, well, I've seen pretty, I'll never forget him. So the, the character says, well, sure. I've seen pretty girls before, but you, you're kind of beautiful. And that's like, I was like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm kind of in love with this movie now, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, um, she has this little tea set she's brought from the West. Now, you could look at the man from uh the the man who shot Liberty Valance, and there's like, you know, things they've brought from the east as well to kind of set up in the in the west. But somehow it's just a little more personal mm-hmm. in the Man from Laramie, and um, and there's a whole history with this older couple. In the movie too, who had been in love and you yeah. know had 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 this you know have been blown apart their romance and we f- come to find that out. Very interesting older woman. Ca- the women characters are fascinating in who this been, movie. Um,
1: she had been a silent star.
2: Yes, star yes, that woman. She's in so many things. Yes, she's fantastic. And um, and so when I went to make gas, food, lodging, and. Um, the the original material was set in um chicago it was a book originally oh wow and it was set in chicago and then i totally like made it so personal it was my own but my producers they said yes so set it in new mexico and i was like okay so as i was writing it i was like you know I'm happy that we're setting it in New Mexico, but why are we doing that? And one of my producers said, because we want to go there. I was like, oh, okay. I was new. I was like, that's how it works? Okay, good. There are worse reasons. I want to go there, too. Yeah. So, um, So once we were setting it in New Mexico, then I became obsessed with the man from Laramie because even though it's not set in New Mexico, well, it is set in New Mexico, but he's from Laramie, Wyoming. There is no Laramie, New Mexico, but in my film, in Gas Food Lodging, there it's is. set in Laramie, New Mexico, <laughs> because it was an homage to him. I was shooting in his country, and so, you know, that was my Anthony Mann uh, homage. Was
1: It was, was kind of, I mean, <clears throat> James Brolin is such a, you know... <sighs> I mean, he could have played a, a sniveling coward, and he still comes across as you know the Marlboro man. So, so because he does have yes, some vulnerability does. and weakness in that film. He but does. I kept thinking as I was watching it again, I was sort of looking for the connections. I mean, were, were you thinking at all of kind of? Uh,
2: well, yeah, a bit with with the uh, with the care with the man. From yeah, Long when you cast it, him, but, was he yes. sort of a nod yeah. to to the western roots? Well, of this it thing. was great because at the time, I mean. This would have been the last person you would have thought of at the time to play that part, James Brolin, because, you know, everyone kicked around the same people who had played these kinds of parts to death, you know, as Harry Dean, Stanton, of course, and and Sam Shepard, and, you know, all of these sorts of guys who were playing stuff like that then. And, um, And Larry Estes, who financed the movie... Through RCA Columbia, was friends with James Brolin, and so my producers were like, "Now listen, Larry wants you to meet James Brolin. Now you don't have to, you don't have to cast him, but he was because everyone thought of him as like Marcus Welby or Hotel or you know TV guy, and I was like." Are you kidding i love james Brolin, so i was really excited so there was no hesitation i was like oh my god i love him i i didn't think in terms of tv and movies back then and of course we don't have to think about it at all anymore but then there was a real stigma about tv so he was excited because he got to do something very different than people would think of him well I, i actually
1: remember before I saw the film, finding out he was in it, and there was a moment of of just sort of, oh, really? Oh, that seems kind of... I know,
2: I know. And then you get to the film, and, and he he's, was so <laughs> he's great. He's wonderful. Yeah, he's, he's so great, and he was so like heartbroken, and uh, he was broken too. I yeah. mean, very similar kind of thing with with things behind the sun, which maybe that's. Uh, a motif. Characters I like. <laughs> yeah. I, li- I like those characters. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, certainly,
1: they're more interesting.
2: Yeah. So he was fantastic. And he also, of course, you know, like a lot of people who had done that much constant work as TV actors would have done back then. It wasn't these little 10, ten episodes right. a season. It was like, you know, 30 or something crazy. You know, they were working every single day. He knew camera and everything so well. It was like he could just bring those young actors right up. You know, he was just and and this young director. I mean, he he was fantastic. And he started out actually as a as a filmmaker. So, but his his handsome looks got him in. I think the Blob or something like that. It got him in an AI, AIP uh, mm-hmm. teen horror movie, and so he started acting. But he had intended to be a film director so
1: interesting i, I yeah. didn't know that Did yeah you? but those two filmmakers is interesting uh, that <clears throat> you know i'd never thought of them in conjunction together before you mentioned <sighs> that you want to talk about them but then you know you sort of jump in and going back and looking at some of their films and sort of thematically that as you say they're both about kind of grounded, realistic, broken characters That's that they really sort of it, deal with. isn't it? Yeah. But they're also working at the same time. And, and in
0: fact, their movies could have been on double bills. Yeah, they've right. Yes, Would
1: some have, of them right? could have. Um, I, I don't even know if there's much to be said. I mean, it's such a ripe subject, and yet it's also so obvious. I mean, there's obvious reasons why Adela did not have the career Anthony Mann did. Um, but, but I mean, do you know if but she But then was, Anthony
0: Mann didn't didn't play any good parts either
1: yes exactly (laughs) right exactly right he had no that's right he never got to be a leading lady um and who's to say who was more heartbroken about that but i mean um do you know was she you know i wonder was she as a director was she working as much as she wanted to in between everything else do you have any well she was you know when
0: she when she was doing that tv show i mentioned i mean she had already directed a number of movies right uh, so and 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 then you know she I remember she when I was a kid she did a lot of thriller episodes yes mm-hmm. um, oh yeah and I think she I think she felt that you know it was the same time that John Crawford and Betty Davis were having to decide whether they were going to have careers as horror movie people right.
1: yeah
0: uh, or or whether they were going to retire or whether they're going to start taking smaller parts. Uh, but the thing about the, the horror genre is that it managed—it it, it, it managed to take people, stars, male and female, who had gotten to a certain point where they were no longer headliners, mm-hmm. and m- and make them stars again. You know, oh. Vincent Price, Basil Rathbone. Right, sure. I mean, and and certainly, you know, uh, uh, Betty and Joan did mm-hmm. uh, got a, a, a huge bump out of Baby Jane, and it it completely changed the trajectory of their careers. Perhaps not in the way they might have preferred but the most important thing, that name above the title thing that continued right until the the end for all of these people
2: yeah and she also she did direct um, I don't know how many films there were, I don't think there were that many films after TV but she did direct The Trouble with Angels which is just fantastic you know with Hayley Mills and Rosalind Russell and Um, and then you know that there was a sequel to that not directed by her um, where angels go trouble follows but those two movies set at this convent um, were really important to me as a kid like I was like a 12 I think I was 12 when well no in the theaters I think I was 12 when uh, the trouble with angels came out and then I was 13 when where angels go trouble follows and those were my jams man those two movies (laughs) i was really into them and um and they were just these great teen movies but they also had these really powerful i mean all the relationships are females
1: Mm. it's
2: like you know the stella stevens and rosalind russell you know their their relationship and the young girls relationships and um they're really fun movies too they really hold up and Ida really set the set the bar for the second movie with the first a lot of people regard the first as the better movie so
1: I, I need to see I have a oh, huge so Haley Mills gap in my um, uh, filmic education because at a young age I was told many times I look just like her which is not something <laughs> you want to hear when you're a 12 year old boy it doesn't make you rush off to see her films um, Charles Bronson I would see a lot of his movies but, but not Haley Mills um, although Pollyanna is one of my favorite movies oh yeah me too it's, uh, <laughs>
2: summer magic for me <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I also I mean almost I mean it's on the subject of Anthony Mann am I am I um, I don't know for you or Joe or uh, uh, am I the only person who likes a Dandy and Aspic
0: um, you may be the only person to sit all the way through it <laughs> I mean, that's the movie. That's the movie. He didn't finish. Oh, did he not? No, he died. Oh, did, I did not he, realize he that. died during the making of that picture. Well, the and, film got and Lawrence, Lawrence Harvey, I, I believe, finished the movie. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Right. And that was, I, that was his last movie. I kind of weirdly I, love I find it. I find when you get into the heroes of Telemark period of his uh, career that I, I, it's just not as interesting to me because I, I am so enamored of his earlier work, particularly yeah. the black yeah, and I mean, white yeah. stuff. stuff in the West. I mean, the, 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 the you know, <clears throat> yeah. T-Men and Raw Deal. Yes. And yeah. I mean, these are, and, and he walked by night, which he directed most of, even though he doesn't get the credit for yeah. it. And that's the movie that Jack Webb took Dragnet from. I mean, the whole, oh, and, right. and, and Richard Basehart is mm-hmm. a, this, this mad killer and he's <gasps> in the sewers. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's, and it's John Walton, you know, it's great photography and great black and white. And there's a terrific DVD out of it now on Blu-ray. Um, I saw it on. Labor but uh, but my, one of my favorite Anthony Mann movies is, is a very odd picture, uh, set during the French Revolution.
1: The the the, the Noir. Rain, It's called the Reign of Terror. Yes, Reign of uh, yes. Terror. Right. Although
0: it flopped under that <clears throat> title, and they reissued it as the Black Book, and that's pretty much the way that you can see it now. But um, it's a, it's a low budget, um, incredibly clever uh, use of of rear, rear screen projection and parts of sets from other pictures and it was designed by William Cameron Menzies who was a great great designer mm-hmm. uh, and it's uh, and Richard Basehart plays Robespierre and the script is very clever and, and sort of wry and one of the things that, that Robespierre runs around saying is don't call me Max and he's very <laughs> upset when people call him Max uh, and it's, it's very much of a cartoon but it's really, 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 really well made, and it's it, it's so much fun that uh, I, whenever I get a chance to s- turn somebody onto it, I always say, well, "You got you got to see the black book." I mean, it's just it's so much better than you think it's going to be.
1: I have uh, a very very muddy DVD. Well, there's a, that, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, good...
0: there's great DVDs out there now. Oh really? As, and the, and the, the TCM and the TCM version is also has a great a great print. But I hardly recommend it. But also Raw Deal is a Amazing. Amazing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And um I I, I, I just so think I, I, the guy was I think somewhat underrated. I feel like he's getting more I agree
2: too. I kind
1: of recognition now. Um people like him Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that always happens after it's too late. Well, well yeah. All right. Joe, we we, we appreciate Where were you, you now when Joe? I was working. Yeah. <laughs>
2: true of
0: course so they
1: didn't have true. podcasts back then full of uh, that's people true like to
0: us guide people to write to the right movies
1: that's, that's right. right
0: all that's of which right. are now yeah. available to see which is we were talking I know, you know you I couldn't see that. outrage to save your life it was hardly ever on no. television because you know if the theaters shied away from it you can imagine yeah. what channel five thought yeah yeah, you
2: know? yeah exactly because because that's how i would have seen stuff in like, the 70s, yeah. you know, and yeah. the, the 80s, I would have been watching them. Late and then night in the, the,
0: the mid 80s, they decided to stop running movies in, through the middle of the night. That's yes. where most people found movies or something, yeah. you know, it, yeah. between dusk and dawn. Well, there are some, I feel Nobody like, but I feel like Outrage is a movie that never would have.
1: Uh, I mean, I guess, since they never say the word, but I mean I remember Peeping Tom was one that I could never see anywhere I had. To well, face. that's
0: that but that also. well that
2: was on TV. Uh, yeah, that it? would be on very, very li- yeah, yeah, that's how I first then. first saw it would be, you know, when I was like a young mom, you know, I would just watch on my shitty TV. But the TV
0: least... version was completely chopped up and, yeah uh, and you know that ruined his career. yeah and, uh, it, it, it's and, and you look at it today, you know, and the movie is really not much more horrific than a hammer film. Sure. But because yes. because of the well, pornography about this. because yeah, of the pornography just, angle, yeah. uh it just uh, it just completely killed his career. And he did one more picture, of Michael Powell after that called The Queen's Guards, which was apparently pretty Well no, there's the Helen Mirren thing. No, no, that's before he went to Australia. Oh, okay. Because he was he, he was packing while yes. he made the Queen's Guards <laughs> <laughs> to go
1: to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh God. Uh well I really, really uh, have enjoyed this and Me Allison too. I want to thank you so much oh, for coming God, in thank you so much um, thank it's, you it's been great talking to you about uh, these films and your films so and,
2: good so good and,
1: and Joe, you can
0: hear uh, Allison's uh, thoughts on The Man from Laramie on uh, Trail and Some yeah she'll be recording uh, that uh, very at some shortly point in the near be. future we may lock <laughs> totally her in this room <laughs> now, until she only does 10
1: years <laughs> old <laughs> think of how
0: how great this commentary is going to be she's been sitting on it for 10
1: I, years
2: I have so much to <laughs> say she's been working on it
1: for 10 years it's getting it down to three minutes uh, is the hard part. Uh, By the way, thank you so much thank for coming in. Thank you, guys. Thank you, great.
2: Josh. Thank you, Joe.
1: Thank you, Joe, for letting us do this. Not my house. <laughs> our show is recorded in Hollywood, California, at the crossroads of the world. We are the official podcast of trailersfromhell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is Don Barrett, who also wrote, produced, and created our theme song, This is Josh Olson for The Movies That Made Me.
2: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money?